God, we come into your house grateful today, uh, grateful people. And if we're not, I pray that we can just kind of get there and get to a place where we choose to see our blessings, where we choose to see how good you are. And um, God, um, if we've been in a place where we haven't been able to sense you or feel you, God, help us to look back and count our blessings. Help us to be a people who say, yeah, you know what, God, you have been there. You have given me this. I've got my life right now. I've got this breath in my body, and I've got the opportunity to 
to see something different today in you and your character. And uh, may God, um, may we focus on you and your character today in a way where our circumstances uh, fall secondary and tertiary. And it's not the primary thing we come to to say, God, um, would you help me with this? Uh, I know, God, we all have needs. We all have things we have uh, that we're, we're waiting on answers for prayer. But God, would today be a day in this moment uh, where we just say simply, God, you are enough and we're grateful. And if we haven't been blessed any more than we have right now, we've been blessed enough. So God, would you hear that kind of heart from your church today? Lord, um, and at the same time and in that same breath, we bring to you our cares and our concerns. And uh, we don't leave them at the door. We bring them into this room and lay them at the foot of your cross, knowing that you speak into those things in your time. So help us to trust that your timing is perfect and help us to just trust that uh, you're going to be here in a powerful way today uh, as through our gratefulness. It's in Jesus' name we all pray and say, amen. So glad you're here, friends. Thanks for braving, braving the uh, weather. And uh, you're all champs. You know you're from Michigan when you can brave it. Yeah. So God bless you guys. Hey, um, while you're standing, take a sec, say hi to somebody around you. Tell, tell them how long it took you to get to church. See you in a second. Well, good morning again, everybody. Welcome to Hope Vale. I'm Sam. I am one of the pastors on staff here. And if you are visiting with us, you picked a great day to visit with us here at Hope Vale. Uh, we are actually one church in two locations. We have our campus here in Saginaw, but we also have a campus in Bay City that we launched last weekend. And it has just been exciting to actually be out there and see what's going on in Bay City. So that's really cool. Uh, we are a church on a, a mission to be a community of grace and truth that invites people to know and follow Jesus. And we're going to hear more about that in a little bit as Pastor Dan comes in and teaches from the Bible. I just have one quick announcement for us. Um, if you are a middle schooler or high schooler, or if you are a parent of a middle schooler or high schooler, or even if you just know a middle schooler or high schooler, um, our annual retreat is coming up March 16th to 18th. And uh, today is a special day because today is the last day that you can get early bird um, pricing for our retreat. Tonight uh, at midnight, that price jumps up. And so today the early bird price is $175. You can do it at a $75 deposit. Um, and then pay the rest later. But tonight at midnight, it jumps up to 195 that price. So if you have not signed up for retreat yet, go and do that online. You can go to hopefield.org slash retreat and, and get that taken care of. Uh, we already have about 105-ish, maybe a little more students signed up. We usually get about 150 to 160 students going. It is the best weekend of the year for a middle schooler and high schooler, so we don't want you to miss out on that, and we don't want you to miss out on the savings of that. So uh, get, re get registered. It's going to be a blast. Um, also, for youth group tonight, for middle schoolers and high schoolers, um, we know the weather outside is kind of crazy right now, um, but it's supposed to taper off, so we're kind of, we're going to hang tight for a little bit. We're going to make the call on whether or not youth group is happening tonight and a little bit later on this afternoon, probably by 2 o'clock, so be watching our social media, Facebook, Instagram posts, and all that kind of stuff to see what's going on with that. Um, but we are, as of right now, I think still anticipating we're going to do youth group tonight. If you have any questions about middle school, high school, what we have for them or college age. Um, I'm going to be on the lobby after uh, the service. Come by, say hi. I would love to meet you. I'd love to talk with you. All right. As the ushers come forward this morning, we're going to take some time um, to pray and thank God for what he's blessed us with as we give back to him in this way. So let's do that. God, we, um, 
We come to you today just with grateful hearts, thankful for who you are, thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us on the cross. And so, God, we, um, we want to take some time this morning just to pause and uh, say thank you in a verbal way, but also to say thank you in a tangible way, in a physical way. And we do that by giving back just a portion of what you've blessed us with monetarily. And we know, God, that, that we do that um, as an act of worship to you, but also um, we know that you're going to take this little bit that we have to give and you're going to multiply it and use it to change people's lives. And we are excited to see what you're going to do with that. And so we give with that heart, we give with that mindset, knowing that you're going to do miraculous things in people's lives because we've seen it over and over and over again and we trust and we believe you're going to do it again. And so we give with that. And God, we just want to say thank you for all that you've done in our lives. And as Pastor Dan comes and preaches a little bit later, God, turn our hearts towards um, what you'd want us to receive and teach us from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Sam. So I'm Billy. I'm the worship pastor here. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue in our worship time right now. We're going to sing a song that um, kind of is about our tough times, but... Um, holding on to the things of God and his promises and uh, holding, holding on to the, uh, the idea that he's been there in the past. You heard me pray that when you walked in and that he'll be here in our now. And um, then we're going to sing a song uh, that reminds us of a scene that's going on in heaven, maybe even now, uh, a scene where uh, people are crying out beautiful things to the God of the universe and to the Jesus that saved them. So um, hopefully now is a time where you can kind of forget a little bit of, about what uh, is coming next this afternoon and these moments where we can just sit in God's presence. I know that I need that more in my life, just to sit in his presence and not just be a doer, to know I got to serve God or know I got to do something for God, but just to come and sit, to come and listen to come and prepare our hearts, to hear God speak more. Let's continue in that spirit.
Thanks for hearing our, our praise and our thanksgiving. Thank you for accepting uh, this worship that we offer you. Uh, and God, if we're in a place where we can't offer you worship, uh, I pray that uh, you can meet us in a place where um, you need to meet us. If we're in a place where we can't offer you gratefulness, I pray, God, you'd um, speak to the core of our being today. Help us to be a people that see clearly and that sit in your presence and to be a people that are whisked away in moments like these where we can um, just give you our gratefulness, God. Thank you for this moment in worship today. Thank you for these moments. Uh, speak to our circumstances, Lord, we pray. Uh, through your scriptures, speak to us just as you know how to do. We ask your blessing on Pastor Dan that the words of his mouth will give you praise and that we would be courageous enough to hear the still small whisper and still enough to feel a mighty crushing wave come by through your spirit as you teach and preach. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a seat. morning. Yeah, great to have you here. Hope it was a safe ride for you. I'm Dan Davis, Senior Pastor Hopefell, and uh, so glad you're here today. Trust the worship has been really just stirring, meaningful for you, that um, God has met you in your circumstances. So last Sunday was this great Sunday for us as a church. It was our grand opening Sunday of Hopewell Church in Bay City, and things were tremendous. We're so excited with what's going on there. As a matter of fact, we have a little glimpse of the grand opening last week that we want to show you. Take a look. So let's uh, celebrate together. Here we go. Are we ready? Are we ready for this? It's a big moment, okay? I'm going to hand the mic off. We're going to count down from five, all right? Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. You guys ready to worship this little glimpse into our grand opening Sunday, and like I told the first service uh, here in Saginaw, I, 
we'll have confetti and streamers on a Sunday, okay? I don't want you to feel like jealous or envious of what they got to do. So uh, we meet, that group meets at uh, John Glenn High School in Bangor Township, a great auditorium, seats 625. Uh, the worship is live. The pastoral moments are live with Pastor Steve, and we stream the teaching uh, here from the first service. So it's going great so far. We can't wait to see what God has in store for us as part of being one church now in two locations, as Pastor Sam mentioned earlier. Well, today as we begin, I want to start by asking you a question about your ancestry. Your ancestry, your ethnic background. So here it is. What do you know about your ethnic background, your heritage, that if somebody asked you what nationality are you, what would your answer be? As a matter of fact, take a moment, turn to the person by you, and tell them what you know about your, your heritage, your ethnicity, your background. Go ahead and do that, and then we'll reconvene in a moment. Okay, we're, uh, we're not, um, I'm not going to do a show of hands and go down the list of every single country that's on the face of this planet, kind of like the opening games of the Olympics, right? Okay, we're not going to do that, but I am going to ask you this question, okay? Uh, how many of you grew up in homes where this was a big deal, like, like the nationality, the culture, the language, the food, all of it, the flag. I mean, this was part of your growing up years. Raise your hand. Yeah, we're German, we're Hispanic, we're Italian, that's why we talk with our hands, right? you know, yeah. Okay, a few of you. Now, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. How many of you grew up in homes where this was like no big deal at all? Okay. Oh, quite a few. Yeah. Yeah, that was my background too, right? Like two things we never talked about in our home, where babies come from and what nationality we were, right? <laughs> right? Just didn't happen. I mean, clue, I was just clueless about this stuff. Now, part of it, I think, is that we come from, I came from like, we, we have this really small family tree. I mean, really small. You, you want to know how small our family tree is? Here's a picture of me with my family tree, okay? Just take a look. Yeah, <laughs> right. Small. I talked to some of you. You guys have these, like, gigantic sequoia-sized family trees, and I've got, you know, the Charlie Brown special. I mean, my mom, uh, who was adopted, was an only child. My dad had one sister. So here's my family tree, right? One aunt, one uncle, two first cousins. That's it. Right? I mean, I talked to some of you here in church. It's like half of the church is related, and I somehow missed out on that, right? You know? And so I really felt sorry for our kids growing up because there were those, you know, this happens in school, right? Like every kid, right? That report you got to do about your ethnicity, right? And you have to do a report, a speech, and then you got to bring in food from where you're from, right? And so the conversations in our home went like this Dad, what are we? You know, and I'm like, what do you mean, what are, what nationality, we have this report, you know, I've got to talk about our nationality, we've got to bring food in, and I'm like, we're American and proud of it, right? <laughs> Let's drive through McDonald's, get a bag of cheeseburgers, you know, that's our food, that's the food of our people, you know? <laughs> and they're like, well, Dad, the teacher said that you can't say American, and I'm like, I don't know what we are. You know, there's an atlas over there. If you just open it up and point to a country, say that, right? Uzbekistan, sure. Why not, right? Yeah. 
So, well, a uh, little exaggeration, not too much though, but actually in more recent years, uh, we've learned some more thanks to the research of my two older sisters. They've done some family research. As it turns out, my mom, who I said was adopted, we've actually learned that her birth mother, who she never met, uh, was from the UP, UP roots. And then just this past year, my, my older sister did one of those uh, DNA tests through Ancestry.com. Have you heard of these things? Hey, this is incredible. You swab the inside of your mouth, collect some saliva, send it in, they analyze it, and they can tell from that, your DNA, what regions of the world you're from. So my sister did it, sent the results back to me, which, you know, same parents, we'd have the same background. Learn the top two, like here are our top two, right? So um, one was, uh, and it's by regions, uh, Ireland, Wales, and Scotland, right? So that was like one of them, and we had known from my dad's side that there were some Welsh ancestors, so I'm like, yeah, freedom, you know, from Braveheart, right? Yeah, you saw that, right? And then the other, this, I, I was really fascinated by this, was uh, Finland, Northwest Russia, right? Finland, and then it makes total sense because I did a little digging, and in the late 1800s, there was this huge Finnish immigration to the UP, right? And, and so a lot of the um, people in the UP came from Finland, and so it means my mom's birth mom, her parents probably were part of that wave of immigration. So I look at it this way, my kids' kids, when it comes their turn, they've got to, you know, talk about their nationality, bring in food, just a bunch of youper delicacies like pasties and jerky, right, and smoked fish, right? This is who we're from, right? Well, we could spend a lot more time talking about our backgrounds, our heritages. I'm sure you got some great stories, right? But this whole subject got me thinking about our church family here at Hopewell, right? About who we are as a church, about our defining characteristics. So if you ran a swab through our collective mouth and looked at the spit, what would it say, right? For several years, I, along with some of the other staff, we would, talking about our church, we would use this expression, Hopewell DNA, right? Hopewell DNA, as a way to talk about the way we do things around here, about our style, about our methods, about our values, about our philosophy, about our church culture. And I can remember a time a few years back, I was with our elder board and I was talking and I used this expression, Hopewell DNA, and one of the elders jumped in and said, you know, I think I know what you're talking about, but I don't know exactly how you describe it, so what would you say? And, and I was a little stumped. Yeah, I didn't have the exact words to say. It was kind of like, you know, give a def definition for love. You don't quite know how to put it into words, but you know it when you see it. That, that's kind of the way I felt about Hopeville DNA. And so really for the last couple of years, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to put this into words. And I've been, you know, thinking about it, really trying to whittle it down to a pretty short list. I shared some of these thoughts with our elders, with some of our staff, been refining it, tweaking along the way. And now I'm excited that I get to share it with you. And I think it's the perfect time because here we are, we're entering this new era, one church in two locations, and we get to talk about what makes Hopewell, Hopewell. That's what this series is about. Now, of course, it all starts with Jesus, right? We talked about that last week, that a church is what? That a church is a community of Christians that above all else has Jesus in common, right? That we say it here at Hopewell, we are a community of grace and truth, a community of grace and truth with Jesus at the center. That's who we are. That's our identity. But when we talk about Hopewell DNA, it's not so much a who question as it is a how question, right? 
a how question. What is most important to us as a church in how we approach life and how we approach ministry? That if you were using business vernacular, this is like the equivalent to our core values. How we conduct ourselves, how we treat others, how we function as a church body, how we live out our faith beyond the four walls of this church, right? These are the qualities that we're trying to define when we talk about Hopewell DNA. And so as a preview of where we're going to be headed today and over the next five weeks, I want to share with you these five essential values that define us as a church, values that make up our DNA. Here they are, five two-word phrases, focused faith, authentic love, mutual respect, shared ministry, and servant leadership. Focused faith, authentic love, mutual respect, shared ministry, servant leadership. And we'll talk about these week by week, one by one, what they mean, why they matter, and how we do them. And my hope is that by the time we're done, you'll not only have a better handle on who we are as a church and what makes Hopel Hopel, but it'll energize us as we move forward together to become the kind of church God intends for us to be. And that's why I'm excited to go through this. And while this is primarily a we series, right, about who we are as a church, there is a me component as well. There is about where all of us individually are going to be challenged in our own lives to live out these values and to live them out not just when we're here on Sundays in church, but also all throughout the week in every area of our life. What do these things mean to me? So that's where we're going with this series, and let's start with the first one, focused faith. What do I mean when I say focused faith? Well, here's the bottom line. Focused faith is this. Focused faith means keeping the main thing the main thing, as opposed to a scattered faith where things are bouncing off. Focused faith means keeping the main thing the main thing. We are not going to major on the minors here at Hopewell. We're not going to let secondary issues distract us from what matters most. No, focused faith means keeping the main thing, the main thing, first things first. That is what we mean when we say that's part of who we are, our DNA, focused faith. Now, when you say that focused faith is keeping the main thing, the main thing, the first obvious question is what? Well, what is the main thing? What's the main thing? What does God say the main thing is? What, what should we make sure is front and center for us as a church? Well, to help answer that question, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that comes out of the life and ministry of Jesus, a ministry where he taught about the kingdom of God and then demonstrated the power of that kingdom by performing many miracles, that for Jesus, the teaching and the miracles went together. And as his ministry is gaining momentum, Jesus began to face increasing opposition from those who felt threatened by him and by his growing popularity among the masses. And so as a result, there are these stories that you read about, stories of conflict, stories of confrontation between Jesus and the religious establishment of the day. Now, Jesus usually wasn't trying to pick a fight, but he also never backed down from one when they happened. And so one such story is found in the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It's one of the four biographical books of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 22, you read of Jesus' adversaries. They're peppering him with this series of religious questions. They're, they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to make him look foolish in front of the crowd. But he handles every one of these with incredible skill and wisdom and actually turns the tables on them with his, his answers. And he makes the religious authorities look like they don't know what they're talking about. And this happens a few times in Matthew 22. And at the very end of this sequence... 
The authorities asked this one last question, Matthew 22, verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, that is religious law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The law, which is what we would know as the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. And you see that word there, right? He tested Jesus. Tested, wanted to trick him up. And the reason that this was a test is back in the day of all the commandments of the Hebrew Scriptures that Jesus could have chosen an answer from, there were quite a lot. Now, we're familiar with the famous Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments of Moses. But back in his day, the the rabbis, the teachers of the law, identified a total of 613 different commandments. 613, 248 positive ones, 365 negative ones. And Jewish teaching actually said that the 248 positive ones corresponded with the number of parts in our body. Then the 365 negative ones corresponded with what? Days in a year, right? 365, right? And so you take all that into account, you come to Matthew 22, you see this question, which is the greatest? The implication is, of all 613 commandments, Jesus, which is the greatest? And, you know, it's interesting because historians tell us that, that rabbis back then would debate hours upon hours about this question, right? So this is a hot question. This wasn't just, you know, some trivial matter. It's like, okay, Jesus, you've got this crowd, people are following you. What do you say is the greatest commandment? And so with that backdrop, Jesus gives this answer, verse 37. He says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus quotes here from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, and he says that the greatest commandment about us loving God is to do so with the entirety of our being. Yeah, there are 612 other ones, but this is the biggest. This is the greatest. This is number one. And yet he doesn't stop there. Verse 39, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, that is all the scripture, hang on these two commandments. Love God with everything you've got, Jesus says. But then also love people the same way. Look out for their greatest good just as you would do for yourself. Now we might say, Jesus, you're giving two answers, but in his mind they go together. That it's impossible to love God without loving people. No, for Jesus, the two cannot be separated. And so whether it is the God above me, whether it's the people around me, it all comes down to love. Love is the major we need to major on. You know, it's the same message that the Apostle Paul talks about in that famous love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That you and I, we can do all these heroic acts for God, we can do all these noble deeds for other people, But if they're not done out of love, they really don't count at all. We are nothing. We have nothing. Conversely, even the smallest acts done with the greatest love can make a difference, can impact a life, can change a world. That's the power of love, right? And I find it interesting that right after Jesus gives his answer to the greatest commandment, in the very next chapter, Matthew 23, Jesus goes on the offensive and he exposes the hypocrisy, the the, the worthlessness of an approach to religion that majors on the minors. And while we don't have time to look at the entire chapter, I do want you to see this passage, Matthew 23, 23. And Jesus says, woe to you, and woe is a very harsh, condemning word. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, religious authorities, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Now, 
you know, tithing of all kinds to the Lord, whether it's the money earned or the produce grown like you see here is meant to be a good thing, right? Then and now to give something back to God of material worth can be an act of worship. It's why we do it here. And yet Jesus judges them harshly here for doing it. Woe to you, he says. Why? He says, you do all these things, but, but you have neglected the most important matters of the law. Right? Look at these words. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You've neglected those things. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You do all these impressive religious-looking acts, but you treat people poorly. Why? Because you're not just, because you're not merciful, because you're not faithful. Where is the love, Jesus says, you hypocrites? Where is the love? You know, that was 2,000 years ago, and this kind of religious practice still happens in churches in Christianity today. And it saddens me to know that some of you have been on the receiving end of that kind of rule-keeping but love-lacking Christian faith. It's the pious-looking church filled with incredibly racist people. It's the judgmental married folks who look down on single parents without getting to know their story. But see, that's what happens when your faith loses focus, when you major on the minors. You should have practiced the latter Jesus said, without neglecting the former, without neglecting justice, mercy, faithfulness, love, the motivations of what we do and why we do them. These are the things that matter the most, love. So here is another question then. Focused faith means keeping the main thing and majoring on the minors, then what should go on our list of majors, right? Majoring on the majors, right? Well, certainly love's part of that list, right? Loving God, loving others. But beyond that, what else should go on the list of our major beliefs? Well, I've learned through the years as a pastor that when it comes to what we believe, whether it's a church or whether it's us as Christians, it's not just what we believe, but it's also how strongly we hold on to those beliefs that matter, right? Not just what we believe, but how strongly we hold on to those beliefs. I've heard it described this way. That when it comes to what we believe, we should have die-fors, fight-fors, and fuss-overs. Die-fors, fight-fors, and fuss-overs. So there are certain things, right? I believe X about this, and I'm willing to die for that belief. And then there are others that, you know, I believe Y, fill in the blank, about this particular thing, and I'm willing to fight for that. And then a little lower is I'm willing, or I believe Z about this, and... You kind of want to fuss over that, right? Die for, fight for, fuss over. See, it's not just what you believe, it's how strongly you hold on to those beliefs, and they all shouldn't be held on with the same intensity, right? Now, here's where the DNA part of focused faith comes in. Pay attention. I personally believe that the shorter the die for list, the healthier the church. The shorter the die for list, the healthier the church. So on the one hand, every church needs a die for list. I am absolutely convinced. Every church needs to die for a list. That list of beliefs where there's just no bending whatsoever, and you better have something on that list because the church that doesn't stand for anything will fall for everything, right? So you need to die for a list when it comes to your beliefs, but if you study the Bible, if you read about church history, you're going to discover that a church's die for a list better not be very long. It better not be, otherwise you run the risk of losing focus. Losing folks. So here at Hopel, our die for list is pretty short and rather unoriginal. 
It's rather unoriginal because it's wholly biblical. That the beliefs on our die for list are things that Christians centuries before us have held on to, right? As the majors. And so what are they? Here, here they are. We, we like to say here at Elvale that we believe the Bible is the only word of God, Jesus is the only son of God, and his gospel is the only way to God. The Bible is the only word of God, Jesus is the only son of God, his gospel is the only way to God. The Bible is the only word of God. It is our final authority in faith and practice. That if I say something that contradicts the Bible, the word of Pastor Dan does not trump the Bible. The Bible is our final authority. That the one true and living God has revealed himself not just through the living word Jesus, but also through the written words of Scripture. And speaking of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is the only Son of God. That Jesus, fully human, fully God, and that's what uniquely qualifies him to be the Savior of mankind. And because he is the Savior of mankind, his gospel is the only way to God. That the way we experience salvation, the way we receive forgiveness is by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Right? It's not the merit of our good works. It's not, you know, convincing God that we're pretty good people. But it's wholly trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ through his cross, through his resurrection. And by the way, those words should ring a bell to, the, to those of you who were here last fall as part of our Back to Basics series, right? Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, God's glory alone. These are the die-fors at Hopevale Church that regardless of what our culture says, regardless of what other churches do, we're not going to budge from these beliefs. I mean, these are the majors of the Christian faith, and we will focus on them. Now, beyond that, we're, we may fight a little, we may fuss some, but we're going to do all that we can to make sure that this list is as short as possible. That's focused faith, right? And I want to take this a little further, right? I'm going to make this even more practical for you. See, I've noticed that when it comes to our personal beliefs, what we each believe individually, that we tend to get more emotional and passionate over secondary beliefs than primary ones. We tend to get more emotional, heated about secondary beliefs than primary ones. That list of the die for beliefs I just went through, we hold on to those with faith because we're supposed to. But take something else, right? Get talking politics with someone who disagrees with you. I mean, that's when the sparks start flying, right? That's when we start getting riled. Or take something as, as insane as sports fandom, right? Ever read an internet message board? Ever come to church on Sunday, the day after the Michigan-Michigan State game? I mean, wow, right? There's nothing wrong with being a sports fan. There's nothing wrong with having political convictions. But these were never meant to be the divining characteristic of a church. No, a church is what? What did I say last week? A church is a community of Christians that above all else has Jesus in common. Listen, I don't want us to be a church of clones, I don't think it's healthy if we all look the same, act the same, dress the same, and believe the same thing about every possible belief out there. There is a difference, pay attention to this, between unity and uniformity. Unity and uniformity. Unity says, yes, we're all together on the majors, right? We've got to have total unity, complete agreement on that, right? When it comes to the die for us, but after that, it's okay that we have some differences. It's okay that we have, actually, it's better than okay, because when we can love people who aren't identical to us, when we can love people who don't see things the exact same way we do, that's when we demonstrate to a watching world 
the power of the love of Jesus. We demonstrate to a watching world the power of the love of Jesus. Remember this passage from last week? Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Look at this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? We can love each other through those differences. That's when we show a watching world the power of the love of Jesus. You know, Jesus originally spoke these words to his disciples, and they were a group of men who were far from the same. They spanned the political spectrum, including one who was a zealot. Those are the ones, the political radicals who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. One was a tax collector, which means he was, you know, generally a traitor to the Jewish people. Now, some were fishermen, so they had that in common, but not all. Others were involved in different trades and professions. Their personalities were different, too. Peter was impulsive. Thomas was a thoughtful skeptic. James and John, the supposed sons of thunder. They had a meddling mom who sometimes would speak for them, right? I mean, all different. And that's okay, because Jesus saw that. Listen, we will be at our best when we as a church can major on the majors together and yet love each other through the differences. Love each other through the differences. Can we do that on secondary issues, on fuss for matters? Let me give you a couple examples of what that looks like. The first is partisan politics, okay? We are not a Republican church. We are not a Democrat church. We are not a Libertarian church. We have no political affiliation at all. So that means on a Sunday, we're going to have pro-Trump Republicans in here, never Trump Republicans, Bernie Democrats, Hillary Democrats, and what other camp there is out there. Why? Because we're not about partisan politics. We don't check your voter card at the door, right? That's not what's going to define us as a church. Now, before I go on, let me make a couple comments, because sometimes people understand me on this whole politics thing. First of all, politics matter right? They really do, but only to a point. So I'm, I'm not preaching uninvolvement. I'm just preaching perspective. Again, remember what I said about emotions? Like, depending on your leanings, it only takes a few minutes watching Fox News or MSNBC before your blood pressure starts going up and it sends you into a tizzy. And when we get riled up like that, that's when we lose perspective. That's when secondary matters become our main thing. And then second, I'm very intentional when I use the word partisan politics, okay? Partisan politics or party politics. Why? Because God's word and the truth of it, it speaks to political issues. It does. You can't avoid politics altogether when you read the Bible. For instance, the Bible teaches that all people are created in the image of God. All people are created in the image of God, which means that everyone has inherent worth and dignity. And so the truth of human dignity, then, it confronts evils like abortion, euthanasia, racism, human trafficking, domestic violence, economic injustice, societal wrongs like these that break the heart of God. So the church needs to take a stand on these issues, needs to be involved in bringing about change, but how that works out through the partisan political process is much more uh, complicated. It's much less black and white. So, so the church, we're, we're not entirely non-political, but we're not about partisan politics. That is not our main thing. And I think God is honored when we can love each other through the differences. 
Here's another example. This is for young families out there. Schooling choices and parenting philosophies. Schooling choices and parenting philosophies. Now talk about something that people can get very passionate about, right? And I get it because I've been there. That God entrusts this precious young life into your care. He fills your heart with this love for the child. I mean, it's like something you've never known before, right? And so you want your very best for the, you want the very best for your child. You will do everything you can in your power to make that happen. So I get why people are passionate about this, and yes, sometimes defensive about this, about schooling choices, about parenting philosophies, because we so desperately want to get it right, and we're so afraid of getting it wrong. And so here's what I need to say in such an emotional minefield like that. There is not one universally right schooling choice, and there is not one universally right parenting philosophy, right? There's not. Now, I know there's some Christians who disagree with me, and they'd flip through the Bible and point a bunch of verses to prove their point, but it's just not so. Again, don't get me wrong. Schooling choices, parenting philosophies we have for our own children, they are very important. They really are, and we need to talk through, think through, pray through what's best for our family and what we're going to decide to do. But that doesn't mean it's the exact same decision for everyone else, right? What's best for them just might be something different. So here at Hopewell, I know we've got children in public school, private school, Christian school, charter school, home school, trade school, other kinds of schools, right? And personally, I love that. I love that parents can learn from each other if, if they can have honest conversations without feeling threatened. Again, it's okay for you to have convictions about your own family, but there is a difference between feeling strongly about that versus feeling superior about that. Feel strongly about what God tells you to do for your family, but don't feel superior, right, and look down on others, right, because you feel like somehow you are making the right choices and they're totally blowing it. Don't let your emotions overtake you. Don't, don't let that make be the line, right? It's going to divide a Christian friendship. Don't do it. And those are just a couple examples. You know, we could talk about other things that get Christians riled up, like uh, different beliefs about the end times, you know, left behind, the blood moons, whether Kim Jong-un is, you know, the Antichrist or something, right? Or what parents decide to do about Halloween and Santa, what we as believers, our personal conviction about alcohol, or heaven forbid, personal preference in worship music style. Not that any of us have ever been in churches where that's been an issue before, you know. Yeah. It's okay to fuss over stuff like this. It's okay to have a preference if we can do it with the right spirit. But these are not the main things. Now keep your list of die fors short and make sure that Jesus is at the top of that list. There's a saying from church history, I love this, going back several centuries, really captures the essence of focused faith, and here it is. It says this, that in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, uh, liberty. In all things, charity. So in the essentials, you know, on that short list of die fours, we've all got to be on the same page. We've got to be. Right? To be united in the, the essentials and to keep the main thing the main thing. But beyond that, with the non-essentials, we've got to give each other the liberty, the permission, the freedom to have beliefs, to hold convictions that might be different than ours. And then in all things charity, in all things love, because when we can love each other through those differences, that's when Jesus shines the brightest. 
In the essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and all things, charity. This is the spirit of focused faith, and this is part of our DNA. And so as we wrap up, I just want to share one last passage that also captures this. It comes from the New Testament book of Galatians, where Paul is writing to a diverse group of Christians, far from, you know, uniformity. And in Galatians 3, Paul's hammering home the centrality of the gospel. He's hammering home the importance of unity. And he brings it all together with this statement in verse 28. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. He says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What's Paul trying to say here? There's neither Jew nor Greek. He's not saying that, you know, your, your, your ethnic background is unimportant. It's just not the defining characteristic of the church. Slave nor free, back then, that had to do with economic standing, societal status, right? Things that the world measures of, you know, who all hangs together. And Paul says, that's not what it's about in the church either. Nor is it primarily about gender, right? That it's just all the men, right, on one side, all the women on another side, like, you know, ancient Judaism was, well, even modern-day Judaism, right? Again, these things aren't unimportant, and, and when you become a Christian, you don't stop being the, uh, the, and the, the nationality you were. You're, you don't stop being the gender you are. You don't get a magic boost in your bank account and change professions right away, right? You still are that person, and those things matter. But you're not the defining characteristic of the church. No, what, it is, what is it? You are all one in Christ. Jesus, Paul says, we, bo- we are bound to each other because we all belong to Jesus. That is the church. And that's when the church thrives. That's when the church shines because we know that the main thing is Jesus. And so let us strive to make him the focus of our faith. So we major on the majors together. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. And God, thank you for a day and through the songs we've sung, through the word we've heard, that you have brought Jesus, Son of God, Savior of mankind, King of kings, Lord of lords, lover of our soul. You have brought him front and center. And God, we may lose focus during the week. We may get distracted. So many voices vying for our attention. So much screaming telling us this is what you need to pay attention to. This is what life is all about when we come into this place. And all those other things fall away and we see you, Jesus. First and foremost, may you be the focus of our own faith. But Jesus, may you be the focus of the faith of this church. And as we gaze on you, we would be about love. Loving our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And that this would continue to shape us. And that we would be drawn together, bound to each other because we belong to you, Jesus. And so God, we pray. We pray for our, not our uniformity, our unity. God, that you would protect us spiritually. And that we truly would would show a watching world 
that we are your disciples for the love that we have for each other. And so God, in that spirit, we want to pray for a couple groups of people. I want to pray for people who need spiritual focus. That they've been searching in life. They've tried every door. They've looked in every corner. And every place their journey has taken them, it's come up empty. And here they are today. And you're stirring in their heart, Jesus. You're drawing them to you. And God, reveal yourself in a new and a fresh way where they go, yes, it is all about Jesus. The one who died in my place on the cross for my sins. And that you, Jesus, came to be my Savior. And God, we pray for our unity. And we pray for relationships represented in this room where there's fracture, where there's division, and it's really over secondary stuff. And God, that you would do a healing work, a humbling work, where words like, I'm sorry, I forgive you, can be spoken. Because there's so much more to life than holding grudges and being right. It's about pursuing the love that you have for us, Jesus. So make us those kind of people. Make us that kind of church. A church with focused faith, where our gaze is upon you, Jesus. For you truly are our solid rock, our cornerstone, our anchor in the storm at all times. And we pray in your name. Amen. stand and respond in worship before we leave declaring that he is our cornerstone our solid rock you know this church sing it out my hope is built
we have this vision, those very last words of what the future looks like. And because of Jesus, for those of us who know him as Savior and Lord, we will stand in the presence of our God, the King of Kings, faultless, cleansed, and part of his forever family. And we hold on to that. Meantime, we're not there yet. So we hold on. We stand on the solid ground of Jesus Christ, who is our cornerstone. Our cornerstone through everything, including the storms, right? The anchor that holds within the veil. Next week, we're going to continue our DNA series. We're going to talk about the second of our five values, authentic love, and what that means for us as a church and what that means for us personally. But as you go from here, may you go in the strength that God gives to your weakness because of the Savior's love for you. God bless you.